Uh, we encourage you, friends, to open Scripture now to the book of James, chapter 3. The book of James, chapter 3. Uh, we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 12. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to get a Bible provided in the chair in front of you. By the way, if you, uh, if you don't own a Bible or if you don't own an ESV Bible, the English Standard Version translation that we use here, you are welcome to get one of the Pew Bibles and take it home with you. We'd love for you to have it. Um, if, as you are opening Scripture in our Pew Bibles, uh, you may find this passage on page number 1012. 1012. Uh, we are currently going through a sermon series in the book of James and uh, are taking one passage at a time. Today we are looking at the theme of genuine faith and the use of the tongue. Genuine faith and the use of the tongue. Here's the word of the Lord for us, for our hearts this morning. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is such a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you bow with me prayer, asking the Lord's help for the preaching and hearing of this word. Father, we recognize that we need your spirit to hear well, especially as we are about to embark in in a message about the use of the tongue. Father, would you touch our ears? Would you enable us to hear well? Would you speak to our hearts? We pray this in the name of Christ, for his glory and honor, so that your people may use their tongues well. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Friends, James begins this topic um, about uh, the tongue by speaking about teachers. I want to remind you that James is writing this whole book of James not simply to individual Christians. 
James is not simply wanting Christians just to, to take the Bible, open the Bible, and just, and just do this as if it's just for me. Now, of course, we should do this because it is for us, for each of us individually and personally. So, don't, so he wants us to do this, but he doesn't want us to stop at this as if it's just for me. It's for us. If we could all embrace it together as a people gathered together. And in, in, the, in the way chapter 3 begins, shows and, and betrays how James is, is thinking about the Christian life as a life of the church. As a life of the gathered people. Gathered to do what? Gathered to worship God. Gather to sing together. Gather to hear the Word of God taught and proclaimed. For James, the Christian life, you can't talk much about it without getting quickly to talk about the church life. You can't, you can't be a Christian long-term, if you will, without actually considering the implications this has for the life of of the church together, the Christian gather with other Christians together regularly to hear God's Word taught and proclaimed. And you say, okay, Pastor, where do you get that from, from this passage about the importance of the church for the Christian life? Well, from verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. He's not talking about school teachers. He's not talking about being a professor in a university. He's talking about being teachers in the life of the church. He's talking about gatherings where someone would stand up and teach God's Word. He's talking about gatherings where people come to hear God's Word taught. And here in particular, James is addressing um, the, the, this, uh, giving a warning that not many should be teachers, should become teachers. Well, in one sense, let me, let me be clear, the Word of God tells us that we should all speak the Word to one another. We should all teach the Word to one another. That is one of the things that in our, in our book, study, um, the compelling community, uh, the, the, the study brings us out. We should all speak the Word to one, one another. And yet what James talks about here is not just the, the responsibility we all have to teach the Word to one another. James is addressing specifically the office of teaching, the office of or the responsibility of public teaching. Uh, think, of, think of it as, as those who shepherd God's people. One of the requirements to be able to be a shepherd, a, a pastor, an elder, is the ability to teach God's Word. Because an important part, a very important part of what it means to shepherd God's people is to shepherd them with the Word, to teach them God's Word, to apply God's Word to their lives. But it, it, the, the office of teaching or the responsibility of teaching is not limited only to the office of pastors. We have all kinds of other positions and, and responsibilities of teaching in the life of congregation. For instance, we have Sunday school teachers, those who teach God's Word in, in small groups on Sunday mornings at 9.30. Friend, if you're visiting with us this morning and, you're not, uh, and you've been coming on a regular basis for a, for a while, you are welcome. We'd love for you to come and be a part of, of some of our Sunday school gatherings. When in smaller groups, we learn God's Word together. Uh, we also have home groups. Throughout the week, we have a, uh, every other week, we have a number of groups 
Uh, some meet uh, in the north part of Austin, some meet in the south, some meet in the southwest, um, and we want to learn God's Word. Uh, there are people who teach God's Word in, in those settings. The bottom line that James is, is giving us, he's not saying, uh, well, don't sign up to be a teacher. Don't, don't, don't start teaching God's Word. He's not saying that. What he's saying, he's giving a warning that people should not desire to be teachers lightly. It's easy for someone to aspire to, to the office of teaching, the, whether it's in, in, in the office of pastoring or Sunday school teaching or other ways of teaching. Uh, one, because they love teaching. Second, because um, they might perceive the influence that comes with teaching, or they might perceive the spotlight that comes with teaching. Um, whatever the reason, James brings to our attention that we should not desire this lightly. He's not saying that you shouldn't be or you shouldn't desire to be one, but you should not take that desire lightly. The teachers will be judged with greater strictness. The teaching office should be approached with a reserved and holy zeal. It's a great responsibility to be able to teach God's Word and to be asked to teach God's Word and to be responsible for it, to teach others how to obey the commands of Jesus, as Jesus Himself told us. Uh, teaching them to obey all that I have taught you. So James is, is addressing, starting this passage by the tongue uh, to address teachers. It's possible, we don't know, it's possible that in the churches to whom James was writing, uh, there may have been people who wanted, uh, perhaps with more selfish reasons, uh, they wanted this office of teaching. And uh, so we, we don't know. It's possible. It all, it remains as simply a possibility. But on the background of that, James dealing is, is moving forward to address the, the dangers or the, to address the ways we use our tongue. So for the rest of this passage, what we see here in James is how he is addressing not just teachers, but all believers, um, how to think about the tongue. How do we use the tongue? So four things from this passage about the use of the tongue. Uh, here's the first, first point that James brings. The tongue has an enormous importance. The tongue has an enormous importance. James begins my, my making confession uh, in verse 2. Look at verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. James begins with this confession that as Christians, um, none of us are perfect. And we stumble in many ways, uh, in many things. Could be another translation. Uh, but, but notice, by the way, that, that confession, starting that way, it sort of puts all of us at, at rest, if you will. Like, yes, it is, it is okay to acknowledge that we still live with imperfection. We, we make bad choices. But that fact should not make us easy and take an easy attitude about our stumbling. If James starts with this confession that we stumble in many ways, look at, at how he ends in verse 10 when he says that in particular um, we stumble with our mouths and from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. Notice what he says after that. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So on one side he starts off and says we stumble in many ways and in one way in which we stumble often is in the use of a tongue. 
But just because we stumble in the use of the tongue, James says, that doesn't mean that I, have the, that I should just let you be the way you are. So yes, it's, we start with a confession, but we stumble. But, but we end with the encouragement, the admonition. It should not be so, especially on the use of the tongue. One particular where we stumble often is how we use our tongue. So um, James actually says in verse 2, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Do you see the two benefits in, in this verse? What James says, if you're able to, to not stumble in the use of the tongue, what, what, are, what are two things that, that, that you have accomplished? If you're able to control the tongue, you've, you're a perfect man. Now, let's just talk about that a, a moment. Uh, perfect in the word for perfect in the Greek language can have a number of meanings. One of them, it could mean without a flaw, but that's not the only meaning. It could also mean mature. It could also mean fully developed. And I think that's, what, that's the meaning of the word here that James is speaking about. He's encouraging believers throughout this letter to, to, to grow, to be mature in faith, to grow towards maturity, to, have, to increase in faith until their faith is mature. Remember that in, in the very first chapter? So at, at this point, James seems to associate our maturity, our spiritual maturity, with the way we use our tongue. In other words, for James, one of the signs of spiritual maturity is how we use our tongue. Second, a second benefit that seems to be here is that someone who has learned how to control the tongue is someone who has also learn the secret of controlling his entire body. And you might say, what do you mean that the control, how does the control of the tongue, what does that have to do with the control of the body? Is James exaggerating when he says, if you know how to control the tongue, you know how to control the body? Is he exaggerating? Well, verses 3 to 5, James will give three illustrations to bring this point home, the one small item, a small thing, can have a huge impact for something big. And he's taking the examples of a horse, the examples of a ship, and the examples of a forest. The illustration of the horse is pretty uh, simple. In verse 3, if you put uh, bits into the mouths of horses so they, they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. That's pretty clear. The picture of the ship. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And what's the point of these two illustrations? The point is at verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The, sm the tongue is small, but it has great power. The tongue is small, but has a powerful influence. It is so powerful that if you control the tongue, you are able to control the body. Friends, let me ask you, how do you view your tongue? I'm not asking you whether or not you look at it in the mirror. I, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, how do you look at how do you view your tongue? Do you realize that your tongue has a tremendous impact? Most of us don't think much about the way we use our tongue. 
Most of us don't reflect on the connection that exists between our tongue and the rest of our lives, especially the spiritual lives. Yet James opens our eyes to see that there is more to our tongue than simply words. There's more to our tongue than simply words. And James is not the only one in the Bible who sees a connection between the tongue and our spiritual lives. Let me take you to just two places. There may there be many more, just two in Scripture. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans describes the condition of sinful people, and here's how he describes them. Romans chapter 3, verses 11 to 14. Here's what he says. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then he goes on and says, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Did you catch that? The people's way of life, apart from God, is displayed through the use of their tongue, through the use of their mouth. Well, friends, if, if you want to see proof of our sinfulness, you don't have to look hard for some blatant sin in your life. Just look to the way of the tongue. You don't need to look for sins like adultery or murder. Just look at the way we use our tongues. From God's perspective, He's able to indict us by merely looking at our tongues. Um, here's a second example of the connection between our tongues and the rest of our lives, especially our spiritual lives. Remember Isaiah in chapter 6? He has a vision of God. He sees the Lord on the throne. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. And He sees the seraphim and the angels around and, and, and singing and, and shouting and, and declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And do you remember how Isaiah responded when he saw that vision of God? Isaiah 6, 5. Woe is me, for I am lost. And he goes on to say, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Well, friends, the people of Isaiah's time did more sins than just lips. There was more sins to the people of Israel during Isaiah's time. And yet, the one thing that Isaiah is struck by is simply the fact that both his lips, the prophet, and the lips of his people are unclean. That alone is enough to make us apart from God, to separate us from God, to, to realize our lostness. Isaiah was not simply talking about being angry, uh, or some sort of having anger management issues. Isaiah was talking about the sinfulness of his lips and the lips of the whole people of Israel. And do you remember what the angel did? He came, took a coal, a piece of coal, and burned Isaiah's lips and cleansed them. 
Oh, friends, if you and I would ever have on this side of eternity an experience like Isaiah, to be able to see the Lord on His throne, to be able to see His glory, to be able to see His majesty, to be able to see how the angels around the throne of God worship God day and night and, 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 and declare His holiness, His utter perfection, we would not sit comfortably and somehow um, without any worry or somehow without any sense of awe. But if we had it like Isaiah, I wonder if we would realize like Isaiah did that a great stumble, a great obstacle between us and God is simply our lips. And for a prophet like Isaiah to be able to say that speaks to us about the importance of the tongue for the rest of our lives, the importance that the tongue has for the condition of our spiritual lives. The man who um, has brittled his tongue is not only the man who, who, who um, speaks a lot. Don't think about this concept of, of br- controlling the tongue as simply a manner of, how, of, of not speaking too much or not speaking the wrong things. The man who has brittled his tongue is, is also the man who uses it well, controllably. Now, if you like talking, you might say, my problem maker is I don't talk too much. Well, and you might look at with envy on, to the people who, by nature, are not great talkers. You might say, oh, they, they're not as exposed to this problem than, than those who talk a lot. Oh, friends, the, the sin of the tongue, the control of the tongue has nothing to do with you being a talkative uh, or, or, or non-talkative. The control of the tongue has to do with using the tongue correctly, appropriately. For those who speak a lot and, and are tempted to speak a lot of things that are not good and, and, and right, the, the, the challenge for them is to, to not say things. The challenge for them is to keep silent when they, when they shouldn't be talking. But for those who are often the silent people and struggle with speaking when they should not stay silent, the, the use of the tongue, the control of the tongue is actually to not keep quiet but speak when things need to be said. Such people need to learn how to control the tongue by speaking up when needed. Friends, you realize that the use of our lips are more important for spiritual lives than we realize. Our sinfulness and our depravity is marked upon our lips in more ways than we want to acknowledge. On the other side, James speaks positively, emphasizing the positive impact of controlling the tongue uh, the way we exercise the tongue has a tremendous positive impact. And it also has a tremendous negative impact. The second point that James brings out is the tongue has destructive powers. The tongue has destructive powers. As a matter of fact, for the rest of this text, he will focus on this negative dimension of the use of the tongue. After giving two positive illustrations in verses 3 to 5, in the second part of verse 5, um, James highlights the destructive power of the, of the tongue by giving a third illustration. How great the forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And then in verse 6, James says, the tongue is a fire. It's a means of creating destruction. Um, just like a small fire, 
in a forest. You think you can contain it. You think you can, uh, you can control it. It's not a big deal. But left unattended, left unwatched, James warns us, a small fire left unwatched can set a whole forest ablaze. Don't be overconfident about the use of the tongue. Don't think that you don't have to watch over it. Friend, have you ever experienced the destructive power of words? We typically feel the destructive power of words not when we say them, but when we receive them. There might be some of you here this morning who are in uh, pain and, and still have wounds that have been caused decades ago by words that were spoken to you. When we get hurt physically, um, we get medicine, we might even need to get a surgery, but eventually our bodies will heal most of the time. Um, but sooner or later, our bodies heal. Um, but the wounds caused by words, they don't heal that often, that easily, and that quickly. It takes extra medicine for the soul, for the heart. It takes special medicine for the heart to heal the wounds created by words. That's why, friends, we should never want to let this member of our body, this tongue, get out of control, get unwatched, and, and get wild. Friends, we have the expression uh, these days, uh, spreading like a wildfire, meaning it's gotten out of control. For some, the tongue has gotten there. James warns us that such is the tongue. Notice what else James says about the tongue. He's going to have a number of descriptions um, that, are, that show its destructiveness. The tongue, verse 6, the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. This is why, friends, the tongue is not referring just to the body member. It's not just the biological member of our body. For James, the tongue is more than just the tongue. For James, the tongue is not more than just words. It's all which is that which a tongue represents inside of us, and that is the world of unrighteousness. I love how one of the commentators. Uh, Doug Moo says about this, um, by virtue of being the most difficult of all parts of the body to control, the tongue becomes the conduit by which all the evil of the world around us comes to expression in us. It's a world of unrighteousness. Look at verse 6 again for another description. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. In other words, what comes out of our mouths doesn't simply affect others. It affects us. It stains our bodies. When, when, when someone cuts you off in traffic and you want to you wanna respond in anger, you want to say a word, you're hoping, you're thinking that you're hurting the other person, he can't even hear you. I'm not sure why we think that somehow just, you know, if, if we really say it and say it loud, we, we can affect the other driver. He can't even hear us. You know who, who we're hurting when we do that? Ourselves. Only ourselves. And, and, and this is a passage that shows it. When we use a tongue in improper ways, we stain our bodies. Not someone else's body, our body. Do you realize that what comes out of your mouth affects you first and foremost? 
when you complain about things, thinking that someone will fix those things that you complain about, um, do you realize that if, you, if your complaint ends up being a, 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 a grumbling and a, just a spirit of complaint, that you are actually hurting yourself more by complaining than helping the situation? Because a spirit of grumbling, a spirit of complaining affects you more than affects others. And just to be clear, Jesus also said very, very helpfully and plainly, what comes out of a man's mouth, that's what makes him unclean. The things that come out makes us unclean, stain us. Notice also what the tongue does in verse 6, sets on fire the entire course of life. It's not simply that our tongues have the power to stain the whole body. It's that they, they, they set on fire the entire course of life. In other words, this is a picture of saying it has the ability to destroy everything. The tongue has the ability to destroy everything. Not only the lives of others, but our own lives. Notice, what is the cause of this destructive power behind the tongue? We're still on verse 6, by the way. Look at verse 6, the final part of verse 6. And it's set on fire by hell. Here's the scary part about the use of the tongue. The ultimate cause behind the destructive ways we use our tongue, the ultimate cause behind the dangerous effects of our tongue is hell. Is hell. The fire of hell sets on our tongues on fire. The fire of hell makes our tongue be a fire and setting other things on fire. I love how one of the commentators said, the power of Satan himself gives to the tongue its great destructive potential. Friends, that's scary. That's scary. If you ever thought you have reasons to leave your tongue unobserved and unwatched and sort of just let it, don't worry about it, you sort of got it under control, don't worry about it, let this verse put some fire underneath you. And make you, help, you, help us realize that Satan, the powers of hell, are intent on using our tongue to accomplish its destructive purposes. And friends, just look in the life of a church. Just look in the life of believers. When a church ends up, when, when, there's, when, when tension becomes, uh, grows and it's not handled well and disagreements and, and things that, things don't go well how Satan can use tensions between members to destroy the fellowship of a church and to destroy not just the fellowship of the church but then to destroy the witness of that church in that community so that that church becomes known more for its tensions and for its, for its, for its uh, divisions, for its hurt, for the way people hurt each other than for the kingdom of peace that God has come to bring. Hell itself aims at using our tongues to bring about destruction. Or look around in, in, in families, in relationships, in, in, in between family members. Our friends, realize that the ability, the ability to, uh, to speak brings with it a great responsibility. The ability to speak words 
brings with it great responsibility. Some people think it's a great virtue to speak everything that's on their minds. Have you heard people who just, um, they even brag about the fact that I can speak everything that's on my mind. Now, there is some tr- there's something positive about that in the sense that we should be able to speak things up, even things that are hard to say, but speak them in a respectful way, speak them in such a way in which they don't cause more trouble, speak them in such a way that they they don't rise new tension. But oftentimes people who brag about the ability to speak up their minds, often what they mean, what often transpires, is that they have the ability to speak without worrying about the effects of what they speak. They just have the courage to say things without worrying about the effects. And friends, such an attitude is like playing with fire because a tongue is a fire. The tongue sets things on fire, and the tongue is set up by the fire, by the fire of hell. We want to speak in such a way. We want to speak transparently. We want to be open. If we have disagreements, we want to talk about them, but we want to talk about them in a way that builds one another up, in a way that doesn't attack the other person, in a way that doesn't hurt the other person, in a way that speaks about the issue, at the same time cherishing one another when we do it. Being, having that ability to speak openly and yet in a way that builds up and doesn't destroy is a big, big deal. The tongue, sadly, has destructive powers. A third point, the tongue is untamable by humans. The tongue is untamable by humans. Look at verse 7 and 8. For every kind of beast or bird or reptile or sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Oh, friends, God has indeed given man the ability to govern and control and rule over all creation. One of the signs of our fallenness, one of the signs of our rebelliousness, one of the signs of our corrupt nature is that we now are being controlled by one small part of our body. We who were called to govern over the earth, we who are called to set dominion over the creation of God, because God has given us that, we are now presented here as those who cannot even control our tongue. And that actually the tongue controls us, and the tongue is, a, is an instrument that's used by the kingdom of darkness over and against us. James points out, he's not saying that the tongue cannot be tamed. He's saying that no human being can tame the tongue. Take that to heart. On one side, it's, it's discouraging to hear that no human being can tame the tongue, but it's also encouraging to hear that it's just that the humans can't tame it. There's someone who can. There's someone who can. It's amazing, dear friends, that God in our corrupted nature, that despite our corrupted and fallen nature, God still enables us to praise Him. Praise God for that. Praise God that He is able to put a new song in our mouth. When the day of Pentecost came, when the Spirit was poured out upon upon the believers in, in, in a way to, to, to share the, or to, to declare the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel in, chapter, in Joel chapter 2. 
and, the, and people were filled by the Holy Spirit, what was one of the signs of their new, and, and that meant we're starting a new, cre, a new, the, the new age of, of God's new creation, the age of the Spirit. What was affected when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Their tongues. There's something about redemptive about the tongue. There's something destructive about the tongue, but there's something redemptive about it when God comes by His Spirit, comes and takes control over our lives. We're able to say things that we were not able to say before. Notice two more, two more descriptions about the tongue. We go back a little negative. Sorry about this. This is James. I just have to, you know, it's, it's there. I wanted to go positive as quickly as I could, but I, it's there. Two more negative descriptions of the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's, it's, it's as if, as someone said, it's always liable to break out. Yes, you think you can control it. Yes, you think you got it under your belt. And yet, it's a restless evil. You never know when it'll break out. And it's full of deadly poison. This is a very harsh view of the tongue. In what way is a tongue full of deadly poison? Well, I think it's this deadly poison and, and this negative view of, of it and the restless evil and deadly poison is, is preparing for what's coming up in verse 9. Because James says, with it, with a tongue, we bless the Lord, our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. It's this inconsistency. The fact that we use the tongue both for, for positive things and for negative things. For positive to, to bless God, but also, on the other side, we, we destroy God's creation. Those who care and have the image of God in them. The problem James faces us with is this double nature of the tongue. The fact that we use it in opposing ways. And remember, this point is big for James. He started addressing that in chapter 1 when he spoke about the double-hearted man, the man who's, who, who's double-minded. Now we have a man, this, this, this practice of double-tongued. This is part of the deadly poison. This is part of the restless evil. When we speak with inconsistency, when we speak with, with in opposing ways, when we speak both to uplift and at the same time to, to destroy and James says, it should not be so. How easy it is to speak inwardly about a brother or a sister. The way to speak um, or the way we speak to someone uh, about another brother or sister. Or the way we speak to the actual brother or sister. Do we speak about them? Do we speak to them as those who are created in the image of God? Look at verse 10. Paul, uh, James says, From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Yes, a human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. But we should not speak in ways that both blesses God and destroys others. Even if you cannot tame the tongue, even if I cannot tame the tongue, even if it's full of poison, James commands us, be vigilant against it. Be vigilant and don't let it get out of control. You may not be able to tame it. We're still responsible to hold it under control. And lastly, last point that James brings out, here's why. He said, don't do this. Don't, don't go into the double-tongued way of speaking. Here's why. Because the tongue reflects our nature. The, the tongue reflects our nature. The last verses, a few verses of, of this passage, James brings home 
the command that we should not do both bless and curse or speak well and speak destructively. Don't do both. And he brings in three illustrations to draw in our, our minds to understand the, the, the deep significance of not doing both. He says in verse 11, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Second illustration, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Third illustration, going back to the water, but now a pond, not a spring, a pond. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What is the point of these three illustrations? They all make one vivid point. Nature cannot give fruits different to one's nature. The olive tree must produce olives. It can't be otherwise. The salt pond will give salt water. It can't give fresh water. The point for us is to realize that when we notice the kind of fruits that our tongue produces, what comes out of the mouth is reflective of the nature that we can see in our hearts. It is impossible to yield something against our nature. What comes out of your mouth is a visible reflection of what's inside. So when people say, I have a mouth problem, I know. Pray for me. Our friends realize you don't have a mouth problem. You have a heart problem. Do we treat our tongue problem as simply a tongue problem? Our battle is not simply for words. The battle over the tongue is a battle that goes deeper than the battle of, over words. It's a battle for the nature inside of you that produces those words. Friend, if, if our tongue is a reflection of our heart, of our nature, realize that the battle for the tongue, if it's done in the heart, there's only one who can who can cleanse it? It's the blood of Christ. There's only one who can operate on your heart. That is Jesus. Oh, friend, realize that our only hope for speaking well is to have hearts that produce thoughts of blessing, thoughts of building one another up. Only a renewed heart, as someone said, only a renewed heart can produce pure speech. And consistently, though not perfectly, pure speech is to be the product of a renewed heart. So, friend, take it to heart that if you're struggling with, with this matter of, of speech, of the heart, of the, of the mouth, realize that the, the, the remedy, the solution is with the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18 and 19, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And then Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So friends, when you feel that time of, of lashing in anger or saying things that that hurt someone else, or saying things that are, that are destructive, pause. Put the pause button. And don't just deal with what's here. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is inside of me that causes me to act out and, and burst in with these fruits? 
Let those moments of, of, of slander or of anger or of whatever that mouth produces that is not wholesome, let those moments be like an x-ray of your heart. And take that to the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, I am more sinful than I thought. I am reminded of how corrupt my heart is. Of how I still have corners of darkness in which these thoughts come out of me. Lord, would you have mercy on me? Would you take those away? Cleanse me. It's not simply the times when we boast, burst out with anger. What about, time, what about times when we make false accusations? What about times when we stay silent when we should speak because we are afraid of man? What about times when we fail to speak a word of encouragement when that word of encouragement is both needed and deserved? What about when we flatter someone? We do give words of encouragement to people who don't deserve it, and we don't intend it to be deserved. We just intend it to manipulate. What about those moments when we know how to get our way, how to say the right thing at the right time to get other people to do what our selfish hearts want? What about those strategies of manipulation? Oh, friends, do those, when you, when you catch glimpses of those, do you, are you ever drawn or pushed, encouraged to go to the Lord and confess the sins of your heart? Alec Motier said, a fig, tree, a fig must have fig tree as its source. A grape can come only from a vine. An olive from an olive tree. Salt water has a salt source. Sweet water, a sweet source. Bitter words, a bitter heart. Critical words, a critical spirit. Defamatory, unloving speech issues from a heart where the love of Jesus is a stranger. Watch over, over your mouth. Watch over your tongue. Why? Because it's more important than you realize. Why? Because it has destructive powers. Why? Because no human being can tame it. Why? Because it's a reflection of the heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us, gives us, warnings, gives us admonitions, gives us a challenge to take seriously and take well the dangers of living with an uncontrolled tongue. Father, we pray that your people, the people who are gathered in this place, that you would cleanse our lips, that we would be people who worship you and live our Christian lives with lips that have been cleansed, with tongues that have been tamed by you and by your grace. Oh God, we pray for those who are struggling in all kinds of ways, for those who know they're struggling in all kinds of ways with the use of their tongue. Give them grace. Give them strength. Give them courage to deal deeper with the issues of the heart. For those who have problems with their tongues and don't know it, and Lord, that may, be, that may be many of us. Lord, open our eyes to see the danger we might be in when we somehow think that the tongue is, is not a dangerous member inside of us. Help us to see, Lord, the, the true danger of it. Help us to be vigilant and careful with it. 
And ho- Lord, help us to bring it. Help us to bring it to you and, and surrender it to you and, and fight against the world of wickedness that it represents so that indeed our hearts can be cleansed and we can speak to you your praises and declare with it only your praises that we could sing with a thousand tongues of your greatness, of your glories, of your majesty. Oh God, would you give us cleansed hearts? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.